0: Welcome to another episode of Outlier Academy, a show about the misfits, rebels, and idealists reshaping the way we work, live, and play, all told through in-depth conversations with incredible entrepreneurs and investors. I'm Daniel Scrivener, and on the show today, we take a deep dive into Mark Champagne's new book, Personal Socrates, which is the first book published by Baron Fig. Personal Socrates is one of the best books I've come across in a long time. It's filled with profiles of incredible people from Carl Fussman and Robin Williams to Kobe Bryant and Maya Angelou. Each chapter contains a short profile, along with a few clarifying questions you can ponder and use as a journaling prompt. Questions like, how can I be clearer in fewer words? Or my personal favorite from Carl Fussman, how can I be the most curious person in the room? In this conversation, we cover Mark's journey building KYO, which was a journaling app that reached 80 million downloads before Mark had to delete it from the app store. How that loss prompted him to reflect on his life and eventually write this book what he's learned from interviewing some of the world's highest performers on his incredibly successful podcast, Behind the Human, and why setting aside time each day to write, reflect, and ponder even a single question can have a profound impact on your life. To learn more about personal Socrates, visit baronfig.com. If you order the book directly from Baronfig, Fig, you'll get some incredible extras. You can also find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 48. And if you haven't already, find us on Twitter at Outlier Academy and subscribe to our channel on YouTube at youtube.com slash Outlier Academy for more great quotes, ideas, and interviews from guests like Mark. Now let's jump into my conversation with Mark Champagne, author of Personal Socrates. Mark, I am super excited to have you on the show. Thank you so much for the time and for coming on. Thank you. I mean, I can't wait to dive in with you on all these topics. We're going to spend most of today talking about your book that's coming out called Personal Socrates. And I was thinking quite a bit about the right place to maybe start off this interview. And there's a quote in the beginning that I think is really profound. And it's just this idea that at any point, we are one question away from a different life. And that felt like a great frame for this conversation. So can you maybe share a little bit of the story behind that sentence, behind that thought?
1: It's a loaded sentence, definitely. I mean, you know a bit of the backstory, but for the listeners, essentially what happened in my life was I spent about eight to 10 years in the corporate world in brand management, project management, and product management as well. And I loved the job, love the people. It was an awesome team. But while I had those jobs and it was moving around in that corporate world, I always had some sort of mental fitness practice. Never called it that at that time. That wasn't really a language I was familiar with. Essentially got up earlier read positive things, tried to prime my mind for the day in its simplest form. And I'm just sharing this because that one line that you share, I mean, there's a buildup to what led to that realization. And basically what happened, fast forwarding about eight years or so of doing those practices early in the morning, there was eventually a frustration with the digital tools that were available for me when it came to journaling or reflection, At that time, Calm and Headspace were really starting to pick up steam in the mainstream media or market, I should say. So there was this, I guess, this realization that, okay, well, it seems like people are open to being guided digitally in some sort of a wellness space, meditation, but there was nothing that existed on the journaling front, and especially nothing that really talked about journaling from the narrative that I was seeing it or how I was using it because most people would leave comments like oh you're talking about the 12 year old girl writing her diary about the boy at school type thing and not that there's anything wrong with that but no I'm talking about people making huge decisions life and work decisions and they're leveraging a practice like reflection or journaling to do so. And what I was doing is I would take these questions that I would be picking up through blogs and books and then eventually in podcasts, hit the market on podcasts. And then I would reflect on those prompts the next morning during my mental fitness time. It got to the point where it was like copy paste and different apps and word processor. I'm like, this is ridiculous. Like there has to be a better way to do this. I mean, the app store was thriving at that point. There were apps for everything. So I flipped my brother-in-law and co-founder of what became Keo, an email saying, hey, here are the frustrations. Do you want to try this out and see if we can build something? As naive as that sounds right now. But we did, and eventually I left that corporate job to go all in on this journaling app called Keo. And within the first couple of years, without any type of paid media, we reached 86.9 million people in terms of app store impressions. And there was hundreds of thousands of people that were using that product. But ultimately what happened, I mean, as much as we had a lot of traction and we had a lot of collaborations and great experts and brands in there with their content and their prompts, leading people through a practice, our business model was not sound. It needed more time. We needed more resources. We needed to refine our team and find some different experts, especially on the development front. We had neither of those to continue. So we had to delete the app. And that's where that quote comes from, because at that point, it wasn't just deleting the app, it was deleting essentially my identity for the last three years. And at the time, I think my son was about two years old. I remember thinking as much as my wife and I were doing everything possible to shield him from any of the stress that we were feeling like, well, now what? What are we going to do next? We're living in one of the most expensive cities in Canada, Toronto. We don't even really like the place that we're living in. We can't afford it. And... The backup plan, which was to go back to the industry I had left, just did not feel right. Everything in my being said, the work you're doing in for this app in the space of mental fitness, is that's where you need to be. But I just deleted the vehicle that was allowing that to happen. And this is where it gets to that quote. Essentially, I was starting to go really, essentially, to a deep depression. I've never been in that state before, but I remember reflecting, thinking, wow, this is what it must feel like to hit rock bottom. I can see how easy it would be to slip even further down this road and stay here because I just felt hopeless, essentially, until eventually I started remembering, well, wait a second. I've had the great pleasure and luxury to interview hundreds of people about their mental fitness and questions, and they're asking a very different set of questions. They're asking progressive questions to pull you out of things like this And eventually I landed on this prompt where it was, what do I want for my life? And that was the one question that changed my life because the alternative was, like I said, going deeper and deeper into that hole and losing complete faith and hope. Whereas this question now led to the next and, okay, well, who do I need to speak to to march a little bit forward or do something today? That's the realization. It doesn't matter where you're at in life, what Part of the journey you're on, the simple question like, am I happy? You answer yes or no can completely change where you're at right now.
0: I want to talk about mental fitness for a second because you use that term. It's not a term I've ever really heard, but immediately upon hearing you, I'm like, it's just obvious. It's something that should be much more common and we should be talking about it more. I've struggled myself to come up with a really compelling way to articulate why taking time to reflect is so valuable because I feel like today it's the choice for a lot of people. And I feel like I've been in this situation is, okay, I've got a staggeringly long to-do list and a lot of just generalized anxiety and stress. Do I want to take this time to maybe try to ease that by checking some stuff off my list? Or do I want to take this time to do something that feels valuable, but maybe not? So I guess I would just start with why is mental fitness so important? And what is your take on why you need to take that time to get clear? Because it's this hidden invisible thing.
1: Absolutely. It's hidden and invisible, but unfortunately, the results of not doing any type of mental fitness or having any practice makes everything else you're doing that much harder. In its simplest form, The example that often comes to mind for me is a physical example. Let's say you're envisioning a physical room and you open the door and that room is just jammed floor to ceiling with boxes. Just for fun, let's say that those boxes are full of books, good books. So that whole room is full of probably very valuable knowledge, but we can't see the box at the back of the room. There's no path. We can't get through there. Just like an unorganized library, essentially. If you can't get there and you can't see the path, then what do you do? And our minds are often clogged like that for a whole host of reasons. I mean, there are emotions that are clogging things up. Like, For example, when I was in that state of essentially a survival state, massive fear, crippling fear to the point where I couldn't really think. Thankfully, I had that prompt to pause that narrative for even microseconds to then be able to chip away at it. But then there are relationships that are in our lives that we all have that were amazing 10 years ago and maybe have fizzled out and that's totally fine, but they're still hanging on or there's something that's kind of eating away. It's like a low-grade, I don't want to say annoyance, but a low-grade stress in our minds that's there. Again, eating up mental capacity. And then there are just the sheer volume of our work and decisions that we have to make. So when you look at it from that perspective, then all of a sudden, well, how the hell am I supposed to be at my best at home and at work and everything in between if my mind is so jammed like that? So that's why for me, just like physical exercise, you don't have to exercise for three hours a day, but even just starting and building a consistent practice or a routine in your exercise eventually leads to results. And we see that. And with mental fitness, it's no different. We'll start seeing that because what happens is then you start feeling way more clear in the decision-making. And then all of a sudden opportunities or challenges come up and you know exactly where to go.
0: It's just clear. Yeah, I think it's a big change. I feel like you highlighted there what I've taken away from all the time I've taken to reflect, which is just a real sense of being grounded and being clear on just where I am now, what I'm focused on. And it just takes away a lot of the fog and this generalized sense, which I think is really common today of just, I think so many people are just really hopped up on like adrenaline (laughs) adrenaline and stress that just being able to tamp that down and quiet your mind and be able to focus, I think is really helpful. Yeah.
1: Just on the other side of that, because there's the processing of emotions and whatnot, clearing it out. But then there's the whole other side of these practices, which is celebrating and learning from what you're doing. Even taking a pause on a Friday mid-afternoon, taking 15 minutes and, and asking three prompts. What did I learn this week? What would I have changed this week? And what can I celebrate? It's just a beautiful way to A, finish off the week. You clear out all the stuff that's in your mind. And then you're fully present with your family. Like you're not stewing on oh, you know, I should have did this, I should have did that. You've taken literally 15
0: minutes and that can dictate basically the next two, three days. And to build on that, I think it would be helpful to flesh out for people what maybe this routine looks like, because I love the framing. It feels super achievable to do something like just try to do 15 minutes a day. Do you have any other best practices or any other tips about how to go about, you know, booting up this practice in your life? Absolutely. I mean, the key to this,
1: and I really think any new habits or practices is really finding something that works within your life. Sounds obvious, but we often, myself included, it's not, right? We like, I have to meditate and then we don't do it. <laughs> you know. So first thing I think is just being really honest with yourself and taking a look at your day from the moment you wake up to the moment you head hits the pillow and seeing, okay, well, where in there can... Not that you add time, but maybe stack on top of while your coffee's brewing, your tea's brewing, or something like that, where you can layer in one little practice, and then that'll probably expand over time. Or maybe after you eat lunch, you take 10 or 15 minutes and add in something like this, and then that energizes you for the rest of the afternoon. But the buckets to think about really revolve around three areas, in my opinion, and it's what can I do to learn? So that might be podcasts, reading, audiobooks, whatever it is. And for me, it's in the morning. I do most of this in the morning. And that could just be three to five pages of whatever book is ongoing. And then with the learning is the reflecting. And this is where I usually stack in the journaling with the learning, just like I was doing for a decade. And just taking that knowledge that's coming in and writing in the book or writing in a journal to see how it can be applied right now. Because then we use it. It goes from information to knowledge that's practical. And then the third thing is just some sort of movement. Whether that's intense exercise. Again, whatever works for you. But here's the thing. Just because you may not like training for a marathon or running doesn't mean you've ruled out exercise. So same thing with mental fitness. Just take a moment. The first step, take a moment to list out five or ten things that you know will put a smile on your face at any moment. And it's all different for all of us. For me, it's taking a run or doing a Peloton spin class or listening to a positive audio book or podcast. Like those things I know immediately, no matter what's happening, can flip my mind into a positive state. And then you have a default list. And then you can start working them into your routine, being kind to yourself, not trying to overdo it and shame yourself for not over-indexing on these practices essentially, right?
0: I love that. I think that's super helpful. And the thing that I would just add is, I don't know why it took me 30 plus years to figure this out. What I eventually stumbled on was like, anytime I wanted to do something when I was in my 20s, I would set the bar just insanely high. It'd be like, if I'm going to work out, my workout has to be 90 minutes. I need to go through this whole crazy workout system that I found online and follow it to a T. And in my 30s, part of this was just having a family and you just have things change in your life. But I really moved to, no, my goal now is just to get into the gym for some period of time, I set the bar as like low as 15 minutes. If I have 15, 20 minutes to go to the gym, I think that's a great place. Because what often happens is one that makes it achievable to where you're actually just have some momentum. And then what I always find, which is, shouldn't be that surprising, is if I just get in there and do it, 15 minutes becomes 45 minutes super easily. It becomes 30 minutes, or I just up the intensity. And so anyways, when it comes to, I think, a practice like this, I love that idea of drop the bar to the floor and just try to spend some time writing something down, answering one question can be five minutes.
1: Yeah. Well, and just having that list, right? Like, so for me, I mean, again, keep in mind, it's been essentially over a decade, but I prioritize about an hour, an hour and a half early morning, which includes physical and mental fitness, the whole thing. And within that time though, it's not rigid. It's just that, okay, for those first 30 minutes, there's going to be something related to mental fitness in there. And When I wake up, that might be reading, that might be journaling, that might be doing Wim Hof breath work, some visualization, whatever it is. But that's been new for me and it's only been the last, I'd say, couple of years. But man, does it ever take a huge amount of pressure off on sense of, again, I don't have to meditate. I don't have to journal today. I'm going to do something and I'm going to do something that truly I feel like I need right now today.
0: Yeah, I love that. I want to ask a little bit about your podcast Behind the Human. And I think part of it is it would be great, I think, if you could just generally share a little bit more of the backstory there and some of the people you've interviewed. But my one specific question is you talked about in the beginning, like the progressive questions that high performers would ask themselves. And something I wanted to ask you is I think for a lot of people, when they think about elite athletes or really successful entrepreneurs, I think people think that they have this kind of really harsh dialogue with themselves, they're always really pushing themselves. And what I found is, yes, there's some of that there. They are going after something big. They do need to push themselves, but they do it a lot of times or mostly from a gentle, loving place. And so I'd love it if you could talk a little bit about some of the questions and some of the ways that they think and how that maybe influences your approach to mental fitness. Yeah.
1: I mean, I think that the biggest lessons I've picked up from the podcast and that have essentially translated into the book as well is just typically there are questions or practices that are either helping you become more clear, which is usually part one in the process. As James Clear says, and he's one of the profiles in the book, but you need to understand if you're climbing the right mountain to begin with, right? And understand who you're optimizing to become, for example. And once that gets clear, which for me was, what do I want for my life? That was that question that helped there. Who am I? There's so many different questions like that that can help. But then from there, most of these people then get real intentional with what they're doing, how they're thinking, the people that are surrounding themselves with. And that's all, again, supporting that initial work on clarity. So for Kobe Bryant, for example, one of the profiles in the book, I mean, the goal or the clarity seeking exercise, I don't want to say simple, but it was very clear for him. He wants to win an NBA championship. So when he's getting up An hour before the team to add in another workout at four in the morning, he's human like the rest of us and also does not want to get up when the alarm goes off and has that whole internal negotiation that I'm sure everyone listening, myself included, have had in the past. It's so amazing how fast we can internally negotiate to stay under the covers, right? Because I remember doing this when I was writing the book because I was writing the book really early in the morning so I had other work strategy work and whatnot. And I'll never forget the one time, I think I went to bed a little bit later. So then right away, as soon as I got up, oh, sleep's really important. I know that if I don't get enough sleep, then that's going to affect the rest of my day. So I need to sleep an extra 20 minutes. Well, that's going to throw off my writing, but I can write maybe in the afternoon. I know I have an open slot. I'll block it off the whole fast, right? And next thing you know, life happens and I don't write because meetings come up, calls, whatever. And I'm at the end of the day and that whole plan was blown out of the water where I could have just paused it and reflected on, just like Kobe, reflected on the overall goal, the clarity there. Well, I have to write a certain amount of words today because there's an objective to get to a total amount for the book at a certain time. So I'm just going to get up. I then use something like a Mel Robbins tactic of five, four, three, two, one, rise, which can also cut anxiety if you're struggling to get up from bed. So anyway, all to say like, With the podcast, and it's very much related in the book, the goal is to show that it's not just meditation instructors or yoga teachers that are doing these type of practices. It's all walks of life, from Michelin star chefs to athletes to executives to billionaire entrepreneurs to designers and developers everyone has their own take on this stuff and we can learn from those things and then again if we're prioritizing some time then oh yeah that makes sense the one from Maya Angelou I can use that because I have a presentation coming up and I can leverage her practice and just building up our toolkit so then we can cherry pick what we need in any given time.
0: I'd love to transition and dive a little bit deeper into the book. And I thought a great place to start would be to talk a little bit about the title because to set it up and then I'll see what you can add on top of this. But what I thought was really profound about the book is the title's Personal Socrates. The meaning behind Socrates is really following the Socratic method where you're really trying to ask these reflective questions just to force yourself to think and that that gets you this clarity. And I think what's fascinating about the book is, yes, there are profiles. So the book's basically in three parts, which we'll talk about in a second. There are profiles in each of those parts of these notable figures throughout history and just incredible people. And then in each of these profiles, there's also these prompts that you can ask yourself. So I'd love to start with just talking about the Socratic method. What is it and why is it profound and important?
1: I smile just because if you would ask me even three years ago, that if I'd be describing the Socratic method, I'd kind of laugh you out of the room. Because I mean, here's the backstory on the title. When it first came up, I actually hated it. I'm like, personal Socrates? I mean, I'm not a philosopher. I mean, that's not how I see myself. And I think of Socrates, I think of like ancient kind of thousands of years back type thing. But then when I really started to dig into the method, I got real curious because how it came up is I was speaking with Joey, who's the founder of Baron Fig, and who's publishing the book. And it's just explaining the book concept and then also explaining what I do on the podcast and how my own reflection has evolved. And he's like, oh, yeah, so you're asking a question and then question after question. And he's like, this is Socratic method. I said, what? The Socratic what? I mean, I know of Socrates, like most people, high level. You know the name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly. And I know, oh, yeah, that's the guy that asks a lot of questions. And that's kind of it. So when I started digging into it and seeing, okay, you know, there are six different question types. Essentially, the idea is that you're going to seek more clarity with these questions and you're going to challenge these assumptions and you're going to keep probing and all of this. And then the thing that really lit me up was, wow, there's so many of us, good majority of us that are actually using the Socratic method often. And we don't even really know it especially all the people on my podcast had some sort of flow into that space, haven't really recognized that. So then I was wondering, well, why is that? Because I can't even remember all the six question types. And that was the problem. How can we take something like the Socratic method that's been around from the beginning of time almost, and that's been used highly in an academic setting, how can we simplify that so that we don't even really think about the process but we know we're doing it and we're getting the value. And that's where the whole idea of the book structure of, okay, well, we can all remember that we should probably get clear first. And then from there, we're going to be intentional. And that's all you have to remember. Because if you do those two things, then the third part of the book and the third part of the grouping of the questions is really about unlocking opportunity. Because now going back to that physical room example, now you can see the
0: next steps forward. You have a quote in the book from Socrates that I love, which is, I cannot teach them anything. I can only make them think, which I love because one, that's like the antithesis of a book in many ways, because, you know, most books you're just trying to learn. And I think some of the things you brought up earlier of like, as you're reading, really thinking about deliberately, how can I apply this today? I feel like that's a superpower because otherwise my sense is a lot of people read a lot of books and that information is quickly kind of filters out their mind or has a decay curve and they start forgetting it at a certain point and so some one of the ways i've thought about books is almost like figures or voices that i can have in my life and when i go and open up another book and reread it again it's like having another conversation with that friend that's kind of pointing me in the right direction because this is a really unique book in that you are learning but it's also like homework for you to go and take was that difficult to work through or was it difficult for you to be like yeah let's do this that makes sense Well,
1: again, it comes back to the morning practice that I've had for years now, right? And essentially what the app was trying to do as well is meeting people with questions at a place in their life where they resonate. Everyone's different. And that's why there's such a varying group of people, different industries, different time periods and so forth, because we're all at a different point in our lives. We all have different things going on. So if you go into the book or any of these type of practices prompt-based, I just encourage people to follow their intuition because that's probably where you need the most guidance or the most stillness, let's just say, in a reflective practice. So that part always made sense because just sticking to books in general, something I have always struggled with is just the classic... I want to read as many books as possible this year. And I don't know how that started. Exactly. Why? And I mean, as we speak, I probably have about three books on the go, but I'm trying to read them slowly. And again, as I'm going through a page, okay, for me, my mind just works in terms of questions now. So usually everything gets flipped into a question. Okay, well, if they're talking about happiness and this and that, or if they're talking about strategic thinking, well... Am I thinking like that? Am I truly happy? Like, what are the elements of my life that are driving my happiness? What does that mean to me? I mean, that's why I really like the idea of providing context, some teaching around this stuff, showing that it's been around from the beginning of time and there are different use cases to apply it, but then get into this, okay, we'll try this. Let's jump in a little bit. And again, the idea these profiles are two to four pages. And just because I'm just finishing the audiobook. They're seven to nine minutes long type thing from a voice perspective. So it's not this massive time commitment, which again for me is whatever I can do to help people start or have something. And if you've already started, maybe this is an upgrade to how you're thinking about questions and just questions in general and be more curious. Because again, all of this stuff, if you're doing it consistently, just like an Olympic athlete is doing and just like someone training physically, Then when you're at the event, i.e. life, we can rely on our training. It just happens naturally, right? We think better. We're happier. We're showing up with an energy that's infectious from others. And it just makes
0: life so much better. Yeah, You touched on something interesting there, which I loved, which was, I think it's at the end of the introduction before you kind of began to get into some of these profiles. There's an explicit note to take it slowly and do one profile at a time, which I love. And I mean, it kind of relates to some of the things we've been talking about, but just going back to helping people start or my idea earlier of just how do you lower that bar of the floor? I think one of the big insights or ahas that I've had there is I spend a lot of my time doing investing work. And so I often am thinking about compounding or just pondering on it. And so that's the way that I think about growth. And an aha moment I've had is, I think for a lot of people, it's like, let me over-index on quantity or volume and let me under-index on consistency. But really all that compounding is, is like, you can quantity doesn't matter. In fact, quantity is totally fine if it's a really small amount that you're putting in every single day. Where it really matters is that consistency of just engaging with it again and again and again, because that's where that compounding really happens where you're eliminating gaps and you're making that just super easy and fluid. Does that spark any ideas for you? Is there any way to build off of that?
1: Yeah, well, I mean, immediately who comes to mind is just James Clear and his work around habit formation and creating the systems to support your habits. And I mean, like I said, he has a profile in the book just because I've interviewed him, but in his actual book, which I reference often in there, and I highly encourage others to take a look, but his whole concept is just around being 1% better. I mean, that's achievable and that compounds to your point. So if we can take those micro steps and again, like something as simple as if your coffee is brewing, you set a one word intention for the day. How do I want to feel or how do I want to show up for myself and others today? One word, energized or motivated. You're priming your mind already before anything has started in the day. And again, that's just one small micro step, but that just keeps compounding, right? So again, I think just to find the time and the right places to inject this stuff and really spend some time identifying the practices or the tools and whatnot that resonate with you the
0: most and just start there. I'd love to talk about some of the people in the book because you have figures that everyone's going to recognize. James Clear is, I think, an example there. Kobe Bryant, Robin Williams are other big names. But you also have names that I had never come across. Probably my favorite profile so far is Mikhail Cho, who founded Unsplash and just like really wonderful profile. As I was reading it, I was literally like, wow, how have I never come across any of this? And a really powerful question or prompt, which was how can I be clearer in fewer words, which depending on your personality type, I think, for me, that really resonated. Another example in the book is Chip Conley, who I'm sure I've read articles about him at some point, he was the head of hospitality, I'm probably butchering that title, but generally, was at Airbnb for four years still serves as a special advisor, um, has a background in hospitality that had a fascinating question, how can I be the most curious person in the room, which I think for you and I doing what we do is we definitely relate to. So I guess my question for you would be like, what are one or two, what are a couple of your favorite profiles? And then which profiles were the hardest to work through and put down and get to the aha moment or the question?
1: So first of all, the intent of, it was hard to pick, obviously, because at first the idea was, okay, let's take a look at the 200 or so people I've interviewed over the last four years and pick a diverse group of individuals in different industries and whatnot and backgrounds and write the profiles because I have the content from the interviews. But then to your point, I mean, not all those names are recognizable, which I think is fine as long as it's balanced, but what about just any names? You said the Kobe Bryants and Robin Williams or Coco Chanel, for example. I mean, anyone would recognize those names. Those were really hard to write because I'm not writing a biography on any of those people. And there have been, for most of them, incredible authors that have written, you know, Thick books on their lives and their learning. So 500
0: pages. (laughs) Yeah,
1: exactly. Exactly, which blows my mind. So I really had to go in and I had to essentially follow the flow of the book and the practice of doing enough research where I felt clear enough to then move to the intentionality part, which is the outline and think, okay, if it's Maya Angelou or Robin Williams, what am I picking up from the research that I can throw a mental fitness lens on? Some of those questions, they're directly from them. Many are inspired just from how they thought or what their work was all about, but then it's mixed together with their stories and whatnot. But it was tough because Like I said, I was trying to keep the profile somewhat short and follow somewhat of a structure so that everything was consistent and and was approachable for people. I mean, how do you summarize thoughts and advice from someone like a Robin Williams in four pages? And Laron, in his case specifically, I remember I had to take a couple breaks. The way his life ended is just controversial when anyone takes their life. And I didn't want to write something to try to pass judgment on that or for others to start thinking along those lines, but really... What can we gain from Robin's life? Felt like a celebration.
0: So I think you struck the right note
1: there. Yeah, well, thank you. But I mean, there were pauses there. And again, I just had to listen to what was going on and say, you know what, I'm going to take a break here and I'm going to outline another one. And I'll come back to this one once it felt clear enough. It was an interesting process. Obviously glad you're getting some value out of that. But the idea, again, is just to have a really diverse group and really land wherever you're at in your life. then you can evolve you can pick this thing up in six months or whatever and there should be something that resonates like your favorite question now if i've done my job properly should be different in a month from now
0: well totally or my answer will be extremely different six months from now or nine months from now than it is today which is i think just as valuable do you have a favorite prompter question it can be from anyone in the book but is there one that is like really resonating for you at the moment
1: yeah, I mean, the one that resonates the most now, just given what I'm doing and just interviews like this and whatnot, it's kind of a combination of Cal Fussman's, which is how can I ask the best questions, and, and Chip Conley, which is how can I be the most curious person in the room, because they both link back to presence. And for Chip Conley, for example, to be the most curious person in the room, you also happen to be the most present person in the room. So for interactions like this, I mean, I just get so much energy from having conversations, especially, I mean, you and I really drive well together. We've had a few calls before. I mean, the best I can do is just like be super focused on your questions and our conversation and not be thinking of, oh, what may he ask next or what's next on the calendar, for example, and just be really, really dialed in because then, and this is where it links to Cal Fussman's profile, When you can do that, then you can trust your mind will pull the right answers or will pull the right thoughts when they're needed, for example.
0: It's so interesting hearing you say that because I'm suddenly just realizing that like the times where I have felt the most present, I've also felt the most I've no anxiety. I'm just totally in the moment. I'm super relaxed and it feels almost like flowy, like a flow state. Which is interesting because I think for a lot of people, there's just this idea that being present, it's almost like you just need to not blink. <laughs> it's like, how can you just take all of this energy and just make sure that it's on that person? But it's really not that. It's just about being there, being in the moment and just letting things be without any expectations or thoughts or nerves or anxiety. Yeah,
1: yeah. This is where the practices help, right? I mean, if you're journaling and you're writing about details and you're noticing the subtleties of your life or what's going on i mean you're training your mind to see those details if you're taking a walk and you're taking a 10 or 15 minute walk without an audiobook or a podcast or music and you're literally just paying attention to your environment well if that trains your mind then to see the detail when you're looking at a slide deck or someone's pitching you an investment, and you can see the okay, well, this makes sense. That doesn't make sense. I've been there before, I can see the nuances there.
0: I want to ask one question around the process for writing this book. And I think just something I would highlight is, one, the book is beautiful. I mean, if anyone has any expectations around what to expect from Baron Fig, I feel like this book exceeds it. It definitely feels like a Baron Fig product. It's beautifully made. It's beautifully printed. It comes in a special box. And anyway, so it's just beautifully done. But when you and I were talking before, this is your first book. You've certainly done a lot of like interview preps. You do plenty of writing. But it's very different to go about creating a book. And I think something that was really profound when we were talking before is just the ahas you had and how challenging it was to get the feedback from your editor to like just really focus on quantity first and then focus on quality. I would love it if you could just take that and expand on that and talk about just lessons learned in the experience of writing the book.
1: Well, so that exact example, I mean, it's shown up in other areas of my life since and just again, being okay with that discomfort of essentially starting, let's just call it that starting and writing in this case, it was writing everything that was on my mind or, or drawing the connections from the research that initially came up without really trying to fine tune it. And then you can do that as well. when, if I'm preparing a keynote or a presentation or something like just get it all out there, and then you can massage it and refine. But I think Something that's played over in other areas in my work and life since writing the book is just the idea of again surrounding yourself with people you really trust and that are experts in different spaces. I don't know if I've ever told Joey from Baron Fig this, but knowing their brand and what they put out, I knew they would not let me deliver a garbage quality product. It doesn't line up with their brand. So there was a confidence there that, yeah, even though right now we're really working through content and what felt like garbage, eventually it's going to get to a polished state and I'm going to be really proud of it because they're going to be really proud of it. And same thing with my editor. And just instead of stewing and stewing, I would send her a text. Be like, Listen, I just need five or ten minutes just to chat through some things. Do you mind jumping on the call? And often it had nothing to do with the writing and had everything to do with reassurance that, listen, what you're feeling right now is exactly what every first time author or writer feels. Like you are not alone in this process. It's totally fine. You can accept it. Just here's what I've seen that you can do to move through these things. And again, I mean, I had like barren Fig cue cards at the bottom of my monitor, essentially, you know, write, it's about quantity, not quality. Or at times what I needed when I was trying to polish was write as if you're writing or speaking to a friend, These were all just little suggestions from my editor, but again, just reminding myself of these little things because we forget and your mind starts to fill up. But so rinse and repeat on the practices, clear out, prime your mind with this stuff, and then you can move forward.
0: I mean, as a designer, my background was in design. I did that for 15 plus years and and still do a lot of that work today. But I still remember a really formative experience early on in my career was I was at Apple. I was a junior designer on the team when I first started. And it was the first time in my life that design for a lot of people feels like think about something for a little while, then take the best idea in your mind and just move forward with that. And at Apple, that was not at all the approach. The approach was very much like, we don't know what's the best ideas and we're going to actually leave a lot of time to throw out a lot of different ideas and then we're going to triangulate between those. And so I just remember there was this period of say three or six months where I felt like the lesson I was learning is just the benefit of continuing to throw out new ideas without any attachment or any judgment. It is really challenging because I think with all of us, our first thought, whenever we're creating something i mean it could mean writing tweeting whatever is the voice what are people going to think of this how could this get misinterpreted or what do i think of it is it good is it bad and it really is like just drop all of that that can be a separate phase and it is really helpful to just have to be two separate phases so it's interesting yeah. well
1: and being okay with i guess that time and letting things sit and marinate and whatnot i mean that was the process with the book cover joey was the one that did the design and man the amount of covers that came through it was like Ugh, I don't.
0: I'm sure. Yeah. I don't think
1: so. Or yes. And then it finally got to the point where there was felt like, oh, there's a concept behind here, and we got to that. But it man, it took some serious time.
0: So this book has been one of the most profound books I feel like I've come across in a while, just because rather than just something that can be read, it really feels something that you should use and you can apply. And it just feels incredibly practical in a wonderful way. So one question that I wanted to ask is, what is your hope at the end of the day for people to read the book? Is there a message you would just leave everyone with at the end of this conversation?
1: The biggest thing is, I think, to go into a book like this, just kind to yourself and try to drop any type of self-judgment, just go going open and ready to explore. Because when I first jumped into these practices of mental fitness, I mean, I never would have imagined all of the different areas that you can go down. I mean, it's not just journaling. There's so many different things we can do. And again, depending on where we're at, some will be relevant and some will not be and so forth. So for me, I mean, the greatest gift that I could get is knowing that someone landed on at least one prompt or profile that really paused the autopilot of life or work and stimulated some reflection that unlocked clarity and unlocked some intentionality. And then because of that, not only is that person feeling better and feeling and performing and showing up better, but there's a ripple effect to that of what the people and the products they may be working on or whatever they're doing, that energy is there, right? Because we all know when you're feeling good and things are flowing, People start calling, opportunities show up. It's just, you like to be around people like that and it's infectious. So if I can have just like a small drop in helping whoever's on the other side of those pages get to that point in their hardest times or in just
0: okay times, it doesn't matter. That makes me smile. Yeah, I think that's a wonderful goal. When does the book come out and where can people get it? Because I know, for instance, that the audiobook is not out yet because I did try to look for that. <laughs> so, just timing on when people can order the book and when people can order the audiobook.
1: The official release date for everything is October 19th. That's hardcover, ebook. The ebook is up right now as we speak for pre order on Amazon. The audiobook should be up within the next couple days for the same thing. And again, I mean, so Baron Fig, you can obviously order the hardcover directly. I'll have all the links just to make it super easy just at my site, which is behindthehuman.com. And yeah, so as we're recording this right now, within the next couple of days, basically all the pre-orders will open up. And if you do it through Baron Fig, just we have a little bit more control of the system versus Amazon, but there's some mental fitness guides that I've written up that are downloadable right away for the pre-orders. There's also going to be a Q&A with me on launch week as well. You get access to basically the first chapter and the first couple profiles immediately until the book officially releases on the 19th.
0: Well, I would highly recommend everyone listen and get the book. This is a fantastic book. So thank you so much for taking the two years <laughs> to write this and put this together. And this has been an incredible conversation. So I just really appreciate the time, Mark.
1: Oh, thanks for your energy. I mean, I'm lit up. I really appreciate the conversation and fantastic questions.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find the show notes and transcript at outlieracademy.com slash 48, including links to everything we discussed, as well as a collection of five books, articles, and videos you can explore to learn more about the power of self-reflection. For more from Mark, listen to the short bonus interview that follows this one, where I dive into everything from Mark's habits to the tools he loves, his favorite books, and more, all in less than 20 minutes. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it with a friend or leave a short review on Apple Podcasts to help more people find the show. Finally, visit outlieracademy.com to explore more incredible interviews with guests like Scott Belsky, Kevin Kelly, and the founders of Titan, Rally, Superhuman, and Primal Kitchen. Thank you again for listening. I'll see you right here next week on Outlier Academy.